This is a more than just podcast production. Welcome to episode 368 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra. I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Olympus Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And also joined by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. Yeah, some, somewhat, somewhat people would say it would be the close enough home to the WWC, at least I do anyway. Um, yeah, so actually we have a couple of uh, fact check things here. Um, we were, we've been joking sort of tongue-in-cheek about unified memory for the last couple of episodes. And uh, I got a quick definition here from, from, I think from Apple's PR stuff that uh, Apple, it says, I'll read it here. It says, unified memory does away with those two discrete pools of memory and combines them into one, hence the name unified memory. So Mm. system and graphics memory together. Makes sense. They used to have, back in the day, you would have, you know, your, your system RAM and then you would have your video RAM, which would be used to drive whatever monitors you had hooked up. So... But I think this may also be part of the whole, you know, Apple, Silicon, um, you know, everything close to the chip, right? System on a chip, SOC. Yeah, yeah. Where every everything is on the chip. Yeah. So there, so there, like, there's no bus bus speed limitations that there would have been back in the day when it was on a logic board plugged into a port, right? Well, there's still a bus, but it's on the chip now, so it's it's a lot faster than it's not. You don't have to go off the chip through a wire to a different chip anymore. So. Yeah, so it's a lot faster. There's still a bus, though. Yeah, it's funny. My, my second Mac I ever had was a Mac 2 FX, and I think it was one of the first um, Mac 2 um, class Macs that had discrete chips for memory and for video and a few other things. I think it had like a, might have been a GPU on a separate chip, too, right? So, and the oh, F. Uh, yeah, um, almost definitely it would have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So, so the FX was, you know, it, first it was the Mac Two, and then there was Mac Two X, which was sort of a more expanded. They had th- six or three, six new bus ports, and then the FX was the fast X, right? So, the one to have. Cool. And uh, a couple times I've mentioned uh, Mark has Brown Lee on the show, and I was listening to his episode, uh, one of the podcasts he does talking about uh, Vision Pro, but I heard clearly that the name is pronounced Marquez. A lot of people ask, how do you pronounce MKBHD's name? And that's Marquez Brownlee. And then we got some Ask, ask MTJC from, well, I'll let you tell, tell us, hi, man. Yeah, so friend of the show, former guest host and uh, Apple person extraordinaire, Greg Hio. Uh, I think this is sort of follow-up to statements around the Apple Park Cafe Max doors and whether they open, how they open. And he ran in a nice little GIF, animated GIF for Jeffy Pieper on the doors follow-up. They slide open sideways. So uh, yeah. not like gull wings like a DeLorean, as I sort of hoped yeah. they would. <laughs> I, I think I might have said they slide up and down. Into Maybe. the ground. Yeah, that's, that, yeah, right? that's, yeah, that's probably like James Bond or Thunderbirds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So... I did not know. This is like the moving wall. This is like you, how you park the airplane kind of thing. Yep. I mean, still engineering feet. Like if you consider how oh, yeah, those, the pretty big those doors. doors must be. Pretty big yeah. doors. It's like an airplane hangar is what it looks like. Just given the scale of people buzzing around. Yeah, that's cool. That's actually from Tim Cook, the the um, the GIF. I refuse to say GIF. Oh, shit, I just said it. Um, you don't like being right? 
<laughs> I like being consistent, Mark. I've been saying uh, GIF my whole life. So even the guy who invented the format said it's just well, like he's the wrong. peanut butter. He's holding it wrong, Mark. <laughs> it's like the it peanut was butter. graphic interchange format. So right. GIF, GIF. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you get the J in graphic? From the G. From the J. From the G. Oh, I thought you said from the J. No, from the G. Oh, I thought you said from the G. Do you guys have GIF peanut butter in Canada? We do, J-I-F, yeah. Yeah, okay. We say, we say GIF peanut butter, not GIF peanut butter. So. Exactly, GIF. Uh-huh. <laughs> but this is GIF with a G. Anyway, moving on. Taps versus spaces, my eye. Hmm. Uh, so this is a, a link I posted uh, shortly after WWC, uh, pretty much as soon as uh, Paul Hudson posted it on the 16th of June. Uh, this is his annual What's New in SwiftUI. This time it's What's New in SwiftUI for iOS 17, and he's posted a number of uh, improvements uh, in SwiftUI. I mean, I think this... Um, there's a lot of sessions this time on um, ways they, they're making somewhat standard services available a bit more in SwiftUI. So, you know, Jaime, you were poking at these earlier, right? Yeah, so like one you might want um, right off the top is, uh, ironically, how to make a scroll view start at the bottom. Oh, really? Yeah, so Paul Hudson sort of says like, you know, little snackable lesson here, right? So if you wanted to, to create something like Apple's Messages app, where your scroll view is starting at the bottom, you can absolutely just do that now. You can anchor the initial anchor at the at the bottom for the scroll position. Nice, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that would be like a Slack, it's like Slack's view, where where you want it to go to the the latest message at the bottom. Yeah, I mean, remember when people wanted to do fancy stuff with table views, so you would like rotate and mirror the view, so that you know it it, it only appeared at the top and you're like no i want i want that sorry maybe it was the other way maybe it only appeared at the bottom and then you wanted to appear at the top back in the olden days but now you don't have to do stuff like that you can you can use actual legit api calls to do that yeah there's one down here too that under the more welcome improvements the how to add in-app purchases in swift ui also subscriptions and there's one of the session one of the sessions that i've got listed as my sort of top sessions that i watched um they've kind of made the you know, putting in putting in the whole store kit integration a much more much seamless much more seamless uh, than it was in the past. So uh, there was quite a few you know things you had to do to get that going, and and um, it's pretty much like it's like almost not quite a one liner, but almost a one liner I think, which is cool. Any other ones that stand out, Jaime? The animating SF symbols. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. you can use SF symbols. I think there's a session on creating your own SF symbols in one of the WWC sessions, so kind of works yeah. pretty pretty closely together on that sort of thing. Well, there's one here combine shapes into new shapes, so I would assume that would be like you know where you take your semicircle and a couple of circles and you make your cloud icon kind of deal, right? That's cool. Mm-hmm. And we talked about metal shaders in a sense last week when we talked about some of the. Um, particle limiter stuff that Mark was talking about. So I'm adding metal shaders to like your text to make the dynamic text effects. It's pretty cool. Vertical page scrolling, that's new. Hmm. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I'll check out, I'll have a link in the show notes for this uh, this article. Definitely worth uh, a wander through. Um, always good to see Paul go through the, the code and let us know what's up. Do you all take a look at the the one snackable item here in his list of how to tell the user that no content is available. So there's a content unavailable view, which 
I mean, you could certainly make this yourself, right? It would, not like it would be uh, a super challenging thing for folks to do, but I wonder if this is a way to make it easy for folks to just sort of standardize them. Like, you really don't need to spend a whole lot of time designing a no results page, right? You don't need to spend a lot of time. Uh, well, what do I do here? Is like just just use the standard one. You're going to need one. You really should have one. It's a good practice to have. And here's a view that's available for that. Yeah, like a default empty view or an empty cell or whatever. I think, um, yeah, because when you first open your app, it's obviously going to, if it's like a app that takes in data, like a core data thing or Swift data thing, it could have an empty empty view to begin with, right? So it's kind of like a default view. It's kind of, it's equivalent of a 404 page in web development where, you know, somebody throws in a bad search or a bad URL, they, they you want to give them, you know, um, rather than default 404 page, you want to give them a page that says or redirects them back to home or something like that, right? So it's kind of like a placeholder, right? Yeah, there's definitely a ton of different apps where without standardization, you kind of have to guess and interpret a little longer. Like, what what am I looking? Oh, there's no, there's no values. Okay, got it. Presumably, if people start adopting this, it would just become pretty standard, just like you know, for yeah. using Mac OS is like, I kind of expect there to be a file menu somewhere, you know, in the and upper. unfortunately with this one, I'm looking at it right now. It looks like the image has to be a system image. So it's basically a SF symbol, which is fine for most things, but usually you want to have some kind of a custom image. So, you know, I don't think it would have been that much harder to just let it take a custom, you know, JPG or, or a GIF maybe. Um. <laughs> let's just let's like stick with pngs okay yeah or png yeah mark does it only allow the system provided fsf symbols or can well you, you know add i'm actually given that I'm, you can create your own i'm only i'm only looking at uh, the article i'm not looking at the actual docs so it does have the content unavailable view which is the class has a system image argument uh and it looks like they're just passing in, you know, one of the, the regular symbols, the SF symbols. So I suppose it's possible that it, it also has another signature or a knit method that uh, that would take a custom image. Let me let me look it up. I should actually all else fails, read the directions, right? Let me look at the read, look at the directions and see what they say. Well, while you're doing that, so the, the phased animations is kind of cool, too. Like, um, there's the... T- typically, you have, in animation, sometimes you have, like, a keyframe where you go from one state to a middle state to a end state, and you kind of can animate between. But this phase animation is kind of you set a beginning point and end point, and you add some different kinds of animations that they've built into SwiftUI now. And uh, so you can, you know, have your text expand out or... Um, fade to like a sort of cloud kind of blur um, just by putting in some some modifiers on the under the the, the caption right so underneath the dot font uh, parameter that's really kind of cool add some sizzle to your app right or your vision pro surprisingly app. difficult to find this in the apple docs so i did happen to uh, find content unavailable view it does in fact have a um, use a system image as part of that, but it also has a straight-up regular image. Oh, it does. Yeah. So I just got that. You're right. Better there. Yeah. So great. Right. So you can provide your corporate logo or whatever, huh, yeah. Mark? Yep. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Yep. Some new things on the on-change and some new springs, bouncy and snappy to add to your animations. 
I'm cool. You can use static names instead of having to put the name of uh, an image, like an image, static image, like dot .dog as opposed to dog in quotations. Cool yeah, stuff. the type anyway. safety stuff around that is pretty nice. I've definitely worked on teams before who had um, scripting programmatic ways of like, oh, if you add an image, it should show up under this convention. So if you put in a string that doesn't match that, your build will fail. And like, whoops, you typoed doge for dog. Hmm. sort of thing and i think i'm seeing more and more stuff make it just sort of auto magic that it does that like oh like xcode can tell you hey you you're typing that wrong because it will auto complete the one that you probably intended to put cool all right so the next topic i have here is uh the headline says it wasn't a mistake apple betas are now free i think what this was about was uh used to have I think you had to have like a, a developer account to have access to betas, and then they would uh, a few weeks later they would release like you know a developer account paying ninety nine dollars a year for example, and then they would have um, the uh, um, public betas that they would release later. But uh, this time I mean, now you can actually if you're crazy enough to go and do it you can just and you're not a developer you can go download the Apple betas uh, directly, uh, so without having to have a dedicated developer account of course you can't do things like build to a build uh without uh well, i guess you can build to a device without a developer account anyway build to which two Wait, devices in my mouth here just yeah you can do that now you used to not be able to do that but they opened that up to the free tier a few years back so really now the only thing you need to pay for is the ability to put it in the app store that's the only thing Right. Yeah. So you're saying like in the past, you know, you had to wait for public betas or pay $99 a year for early developer access. But now with iOS 17 and other 2023 releases, Apple hasn't made any official announcement, but you can go ahead and do it. So that's cool. Yeah. It should. It, there's a lot of confusion around this. And I think it kind of depends on the mental model that people are coming in with. Right. So what this really is, is you know, reducing the barrier to entry for this sort of thing. That shouldn't be conflated with, oh, should your your non-tech savvy cousin or grandparents or younger sibling, whoever it is, should they like immediately jump on grabbing the first developer beta and throw it on their main device? No, it's not really meant to be a, you know, gimme, 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 let me try this out. Because I feel like playing with the new toy, the developer betas are really still meant for trying out developer tools, new APIs, etc. People used to, you know, because they had no other option because there was no free public beta program that would come after the developer betas. People used to be like, oh, yeah, like we're the verge or we're our technical. Hey, do you want to get the, the new toys? Great. Just go pay Apple a hundred bucks and you can get this now. It's like, well, no, you've done a disservice to everyone without telling them, oh, by the way, you really should be using like a testing device for this. You shouldn't be using the one iPhone that has, you know, the last pictures of your grandparents, the only pictures of your, your child right when they're born. Like, like you, you really need to be careful because it is a beta it, stuff can happen. You can have data loss, right? Like th those are things that I saw conflated um, in news articles about this. So I really appreciate uh, what is this Apple insider that you linked. They did a really good job of making it clear of like, Hey, this is available, but you probably should wait for the public betas unless you're willing to, to be on the bleeding edge. Yeah, definitely. 
Yeah, well, speaking of speaking of uh, test devices, like you mentioned, so I was a little, I've got two articles here. One is uh, Mac OS Sonoma drops support for these Macs, which is something we always talk about this time of year. But I've also added in the iOS 17 one because my current test device is an iPhone 10, mm-hmm. and it will no longer be able to load iOS 17. Sorry, it, sorry, no, never was able to. So, but anyway, coming back to the Sonoma, Sonoma's dropping 10. Uh, uh, 2017 MacBook Pro, 2017 iMac, 2017 I, uh, MacBook, the 12-inch one. Um, yeah, so anything 2018 or newer seems to be kosher with uh, running macOS Sonoma on it. And uh, that, that'll come out to the public in roughly in November, or sorry, October, I guess. Um, yeah, because that's when Ventura Mont- Monterey came out. So what are we on now? I've lost track. <laughs> Oh, Ron Ventura now, yeah. Ventura, yeah. Yeah, so if you've got a, if you're rocking, what, what year is your uh, MacBook Pro there, Jaime? I have a 2019, oh. so I still have a few more years. They they keep bringing the cliff, but uh, not up against the edge yet. Don't have to go to Apple Silicon yet on my uh, my personal device. Yeah, well, this, this time of year, like, I would have normally gotten the, the iOS 17 beta and loaded it up onto a phone that I have, you know, handy sitting here in front of my computer, but um, the 10s and the 10r uh, and the SE second second generation 2020 second generation are probably the oldest phones that will support this. 11 did iPhone 11 come out around the same time as the 10s and 10r? No, I guess it's after that, right? So, yeah, it was the, there was a 10, then the year after there was a 10s, and then the 11 was the year after that. Yeah, so if you have any of the uh, 14, 13, 12. Uh, 11s, you're good. 10s's, uh, 10r's, and SE. The second generation and third generation SEs can can run. Um, so no, it doesn't say what iPads though. It doesn't say. It's just an article about that. Let me just quickly look at iPad OS requirements. Is your iPad device compatible? What iPads will get? iPad OS 17 says iPad Pro second generation. So I guess the first generation is a no. Uh, iPad Air 3rd generation, iPad Air 6th generation, and iPad Mini 5th generation or later. If your iPad is older than those guys, so sad. Moving on, the next story. This is our first sort of Vision Pro, oh my god, what what are we going to do now story. Uh, Sony has refused to increase the Vision Pro screen production capacity for Apple. Um, So, you know, typical, I guess it's just, you know, they're, they're... you know, schedules are set to build so many devices, you know, well in advance of announcements, right, Mark? And um, so it's going to limit Apple down to, what does it say here? It says yeah, between 100. Who knows, yeah. who knows what else Sony has in their factory, but um, yep. they must have something else. Can't so the, the, the anticipation here is that they'd be able to do 100 to 200,000 per quarter, so that would roughly mean 800,000 panels uh, in. Um, Oh, and it's one per one panel per eye. So oh. yeah, that cuts that in half to four hundred thousand panels. That may be another reason why the price is so high, right, Mark? We're talking about we're speculating about why the price is so where it is. It's one point They don't want everybody to buy it. It's probably they're probably going to be made of unobtainium as well, right? You got to figure that the the cost to build a thing has got to be pretty high at this point. There's a lot of parts in there. True. Yeah. Just the cameras alone, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I'm sort of surprised that they think they're going to sell out of 400,000 Vision Pros, to really? be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Think about that. If they 
sell them for three thousand bucks a piece plus. That's if, okay. If it, if it was a thousand bucks a piece, four hundred thousand of them is four hundred million dollars times three thousand dollars. That's that's what like twelve. Wait a minute. Yeah, that's that's a billion dollars worth of Vision Pros. That's yeah. not going to happen. Well, <laughs> so, but I mean, like, think about the positioning that they may be taking. Because I'm kind of thinking about like what would, in my mind, justify this thing costing three thousand dollars, right? So, yeah. I mean, I would pay that much money for a Mac. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I might pay close to that much money for a souped-up iPad. Right. Um, so maybe Apple. Maybe Apple's thinking this is a like Tim Cook said. All right, in the in the keynote, that's a spatial computing platform. Right. So maybe they're thinking that it's priced in the right place because of the fact that it's a computer as opposed to you know not a traditional laptop computer, but you know what I mean, like or desktop, but sort of a new paradigm in computing, and therefore it's the equivalent of a laptop, right? With two-hour battery life, of course. But yeah, what do you think about that no, logic? I, don't know. I think there's a lot of stuff in there that's going to be pretty bleeding-edge, high-tech stuff. And I'm not surprised that Sony would refuse, at least for like you know whatever bags of cash Apple promised. <laughs> they probably are holding out for more bags of cash because remember, right? Like Sony needs to run its business, and it can't just be like, okay, cool. So we're going to build this, you know this new, I don't know, foundry, this new thingamabob, this really expensive place purely to make these. Okay. But what if Apple's like, yeah, you know what? It turns out $3,500 is too much. Nobody wants this anymore. It's all about contact lenses now. Right. So now you're stuck with this dead asset. And remember uh, on this very show, we talked about that one um, Sapphire uh, manufacturing company, the sapphire glass. Like, remember when it wasn't going to be just on i? Uh, sorry, just on Apple Watch. It was going to be like on the iPhones, and it's like, oh no, this company in Arizona went out of business because they, they couldn't scale up to handle that stuff. And that was the case where Apple was throwing cash at them, and it just didn't pencil out. So it's not a it's not a guarantee here. So I don't I don't really look at it as uh, it's uh, Sony uh, digging its heels in or being foolish. I think they're just trying to be careful. Have they made the right choice here? I don't know. Future will tell. But we've certainly seen it go wrong with this kind of thing. You can't necessarily hang your hat on being, um, you know, this component supplier to Apple, um, even though they're obviously normally massively successful in this sort of thing. Yeah, it might be a different story if Apple paid cash in advance for for each unit. That would that mm. would be different. But they're mm-hmm. not doing that. I don't think. Yeah. Not with Tim Cook at the helm, right? Right. <laughs> Just in time. Um, yeah, well, we'll have to see. I mean, the other thing I was, I was thinking too is like, you know, um, I know when Paul Hudson was talking about demoing the unit uh, back in California, uh, they gave him, like, they provided him Zeiss lenses. That's another thing too. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure that's going to be an add on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I couldn't use it without, you know, some, some vision correction, right? Yeah. So. Well, lenses aren't that expensive. When you buy a pair of glasses, you know, you, you buy a pair of glasses for, you know, couple hundred bucks maybe plus or minus well, i don't know where you get your glasses from but the lenses i buy well mind you i'm buying like you know trifocals with you know the yeah. transitions and progressive lenses right mm-hmm. so whereas i guess the focal length on these will just be one you don't need a trifocal because you're you know you're you're looking at the same screen the same distance no matter what kind of right. content you're consuming right so that but even if it's it. like a hundred bucks for the lenses yeah. for your glasses right yeah, but then you put the, the name Zeiss on it. Doesn't it go up considerably? Okay, two hundred bucks. 
200 yeah. bucks out of 3500 you know that's not that much but it, it but it's a piece of it it's not nothing for sure yeah 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 it's not like the wheels on the Mac Pro. We didn't talk about the wheels on the Mac Pro last week, but apparently they're more expensive than the first-generation Mac mm. Pro cheese grater wheels. So mm. I don't know how much they cost, but yeah. Cool. Jaime, you just pasted something in. Very exciting. What do you got? Uh, a whole bunch of passkeys-related stuff has, has come out. Um, you know, It kind of makes sense because passkeys are not an Apple-specific technology, although from what I can tell, Apple has... Uh, kind of gone the furthest with this in its ecosystem. And it kind of makes sense because they more or less own top to bottom everything you might think about, right? Like, oh, my laptop is a MacBook, so it can, it can you know, sync through iCloud. So can my phone, so can my watch, so can my TV, uh, tvOS stuff. It, you know, Microsoft has a lot too, but when you think about them, uh, they don't have their own mobile phone, so they have to do different things for that. Uh, I, I guess they might have tablets some sort, but not really. They're really more like desktop, laptop, you know, Xbox is sort of their game. Google, same thing. Uh, has phones, has tablets, doesn't really have laptops per se. I guess they're kind of doing the Chromebook. So, you know, when you look at these big charts of like who supports what on passkeys, like Apple just has more of the green checkboxes than anybody else and. Along those lines is uh, this article from PC Mag, uh, and I've seen people talking about this on the interwebs, that for iOS 17, you'll just automatically get a passkey or th- signing into um, Apple resources, right? So your Apple ID related stuff is what they're talking about here. Yeah, I think, and I think I mentioned last week on the last show we talked about two weeks ago, I guess, that passkeys are, um, I think, one password uh, um acquired or merged with another company and now they they're that helped them get to market faster with their implementation of uh passkeys i haven't i kind of dug into a little bit but i hadn't got too far with it and i and i think i already mentioned that i've already started using passkeys with safari um so some sites that i've got here and i and this one link you've got here the passkeys directory i've seen that one before it's hosted by one password mm. or provided by one password and it lists all the companies that are doing uh, using passkeys now, like Adobe.com is one where I go, you know, to get my my CS uh, Photoshop subscription, for example. That's a notable one. Daylight is a is a Canadian Market Circle company. Is MarketCircle.com is a com- Canadian company that does like um, time management, customer service, customer referral softwares, planners. eBay looks like they've got them. Google's got them, obviously. Kayak.com, I've forgotten about them. That's a travel thing, I think, right? Microsoft, I've heard of them before. I'm just trying to remember who they are. What do they do? NVIDIA is one. Uh, Passage is the company that, that uh, I, th- I believe that's the one that uh, uh, pa- um, one password, uh, yeah, uh, acquired or, or merged with. Mm-hmm. PayPal's using them. All the good people. ShopPay is another one I use. Shopify, obviously. Financial institutions, the Credit Union of Texas allows you to sign in with a passkey. Nice. Yeah, what about people like me that have two Apple IDs? I wonder how that's going to work. <laughs> you know, this is why they, you know, they really should just uh, contract you, Tim, when they're designing yeah. all of these fancy new to features. Be because guy. Yeah, yeah. you have used every single thing that they have, as far as I can tell. So you are the ultimate superset of all possible things that could happen. That Yes, yes. You know, uh, Apple's... Uh, 
fandom has has grown by leaps and bounds over several decades but and obviously like the onboarding experience of net new is easier than migrating but you know, longtime fans like you, you are like the edge case. So I always <laughs> sort of watch to see, did this thing work for Tim? Great. It will absolutely work for me because I don't have as complicated a setup as you do. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I, you're right. I go Apple link to eWorld to AWOL when they dumped eWorld. And then, yeah. In fact, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A at eWorld.com was my first email address with Apple. But um yeah, you're right. You're right. I have, and I, yes, because I, I kind of got into the iCloud, you know, the, what was it, dot .Mac is how I got my first Apple mm. ID. And then when I became a reseller, I ended up having to do one under my, under my company. So, and then it's funny because I have a throwaway uh, email address that um, I use, and I've used it so many times that it might as well be my main email address, you know? But I think, and now I'm using hide my email. So yeah, I'm just creating a creating a huge problem for myself going forward. Right? This can't last forever. Jaime is what I'm getting at. I mean, the the good thing is that this stuff is evolving. So you mentioned one password. I think last time we talked about the fact that um, folks like one password and Bitwarden and etc. They can be third party providers of passkeys. So it's not just Apple's built in stuff. Um, passkeys.directory you've been talking about in terms of, you know, where can I use these wonderful passkeys? Google is really pushing that a lot for um, Google Workspace and etc. Passkeys.dev, I also highly recommend folks take a look at because uh, it kind of explains in a much more sort of human-friendly way what does this all mean. There's a really good like 10 to 15 minute video where people from the FIDO alliance who really know what they're talking about. I clearly don't, but they know what they're talking about. They explain how this works. They show it working with Apple's ecosystem. They show how you don't have to be stuck there. You can use Windows Hello for Microsoft ecosystem. You can use your Android device for mobile apps and stuff. The whole industry is moving forward on this stuff. And it's really about making it so that things are much more secure. You don't pass passwords along uh, across the wire. You don't have to remember them. Yes, there are things that people have to think about of like having multiple pass keys set up on distinct disparate devices and I mean, maybe even locations. So um, in Apple's case, you know, iCloud is your friend. So if every device in your household just fell into a volcano, at least you could go to whatever the closest Apple store is, get a new device, log into iCloud and you're you're good to go. Um you know, you don't want to be stuck in a case of like, oh no, forget password sharing. Nobody can log into Netflix anymore at this household because now the one device that had the pass key is gone. You know, these providers, uh, sorry, the service providers still have to provide a like, yo, you got to make sure you have at least two devices that are set up with pass keys or like, or um, the physical UB keys and, and other things. Like it, it's not a, it's not a silver bullet that solves all problems. You know, people really do need to make sure that they're they're being careful. But it addresses a different problem of like, whoops, somebody saw my password and and now I, I'm stuck. Yeah, it's I don't I don't think I'm not an expert on this, but I don't think it's it's the same issue of they're they're encrypting all your information on the server, and the only way you can get into it is with your pass key. It's not like that. It's if you lose your pass key. You just generate a new passkey using a trusted third-party authenticator, and then Netflix will turn you back on, right? It's it's not 
it's not as it's just replacing a password. Like if you lose your password, you know, you you get an email <laughs> it says, you know, change your password and you type in a new one, click a, click a link and you, and you're in, right. I think it's like that. It's not, it's not so, such that if you, if you lose all your devices, then you're just locked out of everything forever. It's not like that. It's just authenticating. And you can always re-authenticate if you have a trusted third-party authenticator. Yeah, yeah, I think what Jaime was talking about was like the YubiKey kind of approach where you have a single key. Like for me, I roll a lot of my own login uh, authentication stuff because I you know, still do a, few, a little bit of website development, right? I'm waiting for the day when I don't have to have one password to remember my credentials, even for the sites, because I, I don't even look at the passwords I make for my own sites, right? But because um, I rely on one password or iCloud. But what I want to do is I want to get to the point where I can use a, a pass key on the websites that I roll, right? That's that would for me is what what I'm looking forward to. But yeah, you're right. I, I'm I'm I think like I know right now that you know the Safari passwords that I've put in here are managed by my iCloud account, right? And it's nice because I can just it doesn't matter what Mac I'm on or iPad or phone I'm on. It just kind of goes, hey, you want to use your your passkey? And I go, yes, please, and throw my thumb at it or my Face ID, and I'm in, right? It's it is really nice, like from the point of view of not having to go and hunt for a password, right? Even in one password or uh, Safari. Oh, right? sorry, I mean, is that what you're talking about, or, or I thought you were talking about passkeys? I'm I'm speaking from an area of of some enthusiasm, but a lot of ignorance, as you can tell by my hemming and hawing. So, <laughs> so, so where I'm getting at is, uh, folks are interested in a um, you know a passwordless type of future, the mm-hmm. the one sort of thing we have to think about is like if you know your password right or you have something like a one password that knows it for you it doesn't matter really too much if every device that you have under the sun is destroyed as long as you can get a new device like you can just enter in the password from memory or from the uh, the, the password manager Haskies are a little different in that um you can't just be like oh um i have only an iPhone. This is literally the only computing device I have. I've signed up for this site with my pass key, and then that thing fell into the ocean. I don't use iCloud. Oh no, what do I do now? Like regaining access is something that some fallback mechanism needs to exist. Ideally, that should be other devices are capable of getting access to the pass key, right? So the well, and so you do need you still need a password because you need to do this registration process where you have to use a third-party authenticator like Okta or, or maybe Apple will have their own. Maybe they do. I'm not even sure. Uh, where you have a way... Uh, so, I mean, so what a passkey is, it's just a... It's a, it's a, a, a you know, pair of keys, a private and public key. We've talked about this on the show before. Uh, where where you, you have your private key and you send your public key off to the place you want to get into. Uh, so whenever you want to get in, you just encrypt something using your public key and send it off to them and anyone can un- can unlock that with the public key but it proves that you signed it because only you can encrypt the thing with your private key so it proves that it's you anyone can read the thing that you're sending but but the receiver knows that it's you because only you can can en- can encrypt it because only you have the private key it's like digitally signing it proves it's you but there's always the problem that at the very first time, 
you have to prove that it's really you when you give them the public key because otherwise mm-hmm. anyone could say it's me here's my public key when it's you know it's it's uh Jaime impersonating tim it's not actually tim even though i still think you may be the same person if you remember uh but anyway no laugh on that one uh, sorry <laughs> okay so you still need to have this this third party trusted authenticator so you need to use like an octa or 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 some kind of um OAuth 2 kind of thing uh, where you you have a way independently of you and the person you're trying to connect with to prove that you're you. So you're always going to need that to set up your passkey. But because and once you set up your passkey, you never need that until you lose your passkey or lose your device with the passkey. Then you got to do it again. But then it's just as simple as, as saying, "Hey, I need to reauthenticate." Okay, well, go back to that website where you where we did this last time, type in your password again. Okay, now you're in, now you get a new passkey. Now you never have to do that again until you lose it the next time. So it's not like the case, like everyone's thinking about, of your you know your iPhone, where if you lose your password to your iPhone, even Apple can't unlock it, right? Because everything is encrypted using a key based on your password. It's, it's not like that. It's using a third-party authenticator. So losing your phone with your passkey is not an earth-shattering terrible thing you just generate a new passkey it's a convenience thing that's all it's not any more secure than passwords maybe it's less secure i don't know it's probably is less secure because there isn't there is a there is an attack vector through the through the third-party authenticator if that's spoofed but you know that is that any better or worse than the attack vector of someone hacking your password i don't know that's up to the security experts to decide but but anyway it's you know it's not the end of the world if you lose your passkey you just generate a new passkey. Yeah, I think it changes the the attack vector from like all seven billion people on the interwebs can uh-huh. hypothetically attack me by getting access to my password. Now uh-huh. they'd at least have to be within a relatively small radius physically around me and have gained access to my device in some case. It also protects you from from using SpongeBob SquarePants as your password, right? That's the other side of it, is that <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. not right. a right can't be easily dictionary attacked or whatever right because i think uh depending on how you put your password together they've proven you know certain patterns like the the whole like we talked about this like several months ago um i think you brought the article jaime that talked about how um what we thought was the most secure or a very secure pattern you know the, the got to use a number got to use a, a, a punctuation yeah gotta be it's not actually all that word. secure yeah yeah whereas like the um apple is recommending like you know like a bunch like five words with uh you know with hyphens or something like that in, yeah. in the random unconnected words yeah so, sorry yeah that's random unconnected words they're saying is the best is the best way now yeah so like when you have a uh, I don't know if you ever set up a crypto wallet, but usually what they do is they have this they have this way of getting into your wallet, even if you lose your password, which is they just send you a list of something like 20 words, 20 random words. And if you ever lose your password, you can still get in by typing in these 20 random words. And the probability of someone guessing that is just insanely high. Probability against guessing it is, is insanely high. Whereas if it's 12 characters, even if they're exclamation marks and lowercase and capitals and you know apostrophes or whatever it's it's apparently easier 
So I'm going to paste into the the one session I had on my bookmarks that I haven't watched yet, but and it, I think it probably talks a bit about it. It's Ricky Bandello. We've talked about him before. He works for Apple. Something to do. I think he works around the authentication stuff, but uh, he's um, posted a link in his Twitter account about this uh, this one session. The title of which is uh, "Deploy Pass Keys at Work." Talks a bit more about specifically about using um, pass keys in an enterprise environment, but um, it does sort of explain pass keys, you know, in, in a bit um, a bit more, you know, Apple style clarity, right? So it's one of the things I had on my list of things to use uh, to to talk about, but or I mean to watch, but I haven't got around to watching it yet. So that's uh, a follow up for that. Deploy passkeys at work. Yeah, no, I'm I'm super happy about passkeys in general, and uh, the sooner I can use them for just about everything would be great. Because my latest complaint about one password is I I keep getting duplicated passwords. Cause I think now there's multiple wallets and things involved, and I keep having to mark um, my password records with this so I know which one is the right one to use. So, yep. And two-factor authenticate all the things. That's my that's the more than just code advice. <laughs> Should we move on to some sessions for WWDC? Yeah. Yeah. So a quick question, though. So um, we didn't talk much about Platform State of the Union from the last uh, last episode. We just ca- talked about the keynote. Have you? Did you guys have any highlights from Platform State of the Union that stood out with you? I look up my notes. I haven't watched the video since I was actually there in person. Well, we, I mean, they started with, with macros, which was uh, right off the top of coolness. Yeah, my little first line in my notes for the Platform State of the Union is the at add async macro lets you turn methods into something that's compatible with async await. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, I forgot about that one. Yeah, and then more incremental updates in SwiftUI, which we talked about with the, the um, Paul Hudson stuff. The modification of of the observables, so they have at observable now instead of the uh, several types of uh, things we had state environment. Uh, oh yeah, that's a, that's bindings. a pretty nice feature actually. Yeah, it's a lot less boiler code, boilerplate code. Yep. You know, you have to write, you don't write published on every single property. Yeah, and the big the big one, of course, for I think for for this crowd um, is uh, Swift Data, which is basically. Um, a first-class sort of implementation of a core data style, or I guess it is kind of similar to core data, right? Built on top of core data, um, using Swift macros again. So you basically write a class and then use the uh, at model macro to turn your class into a class with a bunch of properties in it, and that turns that into the into the the models for Swift data to use. And it uses Codable under the hood to uh, decode and encode. Um, this, I mean, of my sessions on that we're going to talk about, um, I mean, I pretty much consumed all of the Swift Data sessions. Uh, you know, the Meet Swift Data, the Build an App with Swift Data, which is a sort of hands-on, quick, um, let's build it together kind of deal. Um, and modeling your your Swift your schema for Swift Data, and then the migrate to Swift Data is if you're taking a core data application and want to migrate it over to Swift Data. But I discovered some interesting um, challenges, and maybe I'll run past Mark and see what you think about that. But um, do you want to hear about that, Mark? I haven't looked really at Swift data at all, but try it. <laughs> so here, so he, here's what I discovered, right? So uh-huh. as you know, Device Tracker is a core data app, right? Yes. And it was originally done in 2010 using uh-huh. Objective C, 
Mm-hmm. And what I found to my surprise, I kept tr- I kept trying to. F- uh, I went to the the iOS folks Slack to ask about um, co- get some core data advice from the folks over there because they're always playing with it. Um, turns out that if you start a core data project in Objective C, it's a different file than if you start the project in a Swift project. So the challenge I had was every time, like I would, like I have a device and cust- I have a device entity and a custom entity, and whenever I pulled it into SwiftUI or Swift, it kept the compiler kept saying, "There's no device entity, right? It just couldn't find it anywhere, right?" Mm-hmm. And then I talked to somebody about it, and somebody suggested I go into the file type, um, you know, the, the sidebar on the uh, inspector editor on the file itself, mm-hmm. and change it from an Objective C to a Swift file. Um, yeah, it still I still wasn't able to figure out the sort of magic combination that would would make a Swift project um, see the or um, Objective C core data mob mom D file, right? So anyway, so I, I, my solution was I'm just gonna I just started writing in Swift data purely, just see if I could rebuild the app that way and and get it all sorted out, and then worry about migrating it over later. But you could, you could do an in-app migration of some sort, right? What do you mean by that? Like in the core data sort of process, or well, not using a not using. Oh, you the mean starting with the actual migration. project and and migrating over to Swift Swift use. No, just you have a di- you have a different file for your Swift UI. Well, this is I'm assuming you're you're doing this for device tracker, and you want to be able to get people's data out of the Objective C into the new Swift one. Yeah, without having to do an export and import, blah blah blah. Yeah. Oh well, it, it, yeah, you may have to do the export and import. Is what? No, I'm, I mean I may have to do that, but I don't. I mean for the people to have to. If I if I read a second version of the app that's purely Swift, you know, like device tracker two, for example. Um, I need I, I as in conscience in pure conscience I have to prov- I think I have to provide them with a way of right so you have migrating, so you include right? one version of the app that has both the Objective C core data stack mm-hmm. and a brand new shiny Swift UI core data stack mm-hmm. and when you first launch you just you know throw up some UI saying hey we're updating have, yeah, it, have it spin for a little bit and then yeah. you just load everything from the old database and dump it into the new database hmm. and then after some amount of time you remove the old database from your from your project project yeah yeah that's that's another yeah. alternative yeah i guess yeah. that might work too yeah hmm. i mean that's you know that's the way that's guaranteed to work because you're doing it manually. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, the challenge for me with Swift with the app is that you know, um, I think I made some bad layout decisions that I probably would do differently now, like in terms of like the UI. So yeah, that's the challenge is like how do I how do I you know get myself out of that corner that I painted myself into, right? <laughs> Oh, story of my UI story of my or with the, life. with the database schema. Well, the UI UI is primarily the probably the biggest part. I mean, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's it, so that's separate from the. Oh, you're saying you want to start the project over again? Is that what you're talking about? Well, it, yeah. I mean, that's kind of where I am because because yeah. yeah um, cause but I, you still need a way if you care about this. You still need a way to for your users to move their data over to the new yeah. one. Yeah. Well, or I could continue to, like you said, I could just maybe go in and modify the the existing file and change and just write the correct the UI mistakes I made in Swift. Yeah. And the, yeah. Well, you can, yeah, you can always throw away your UI in the same project and just have a, write a new UI because you did write your you architected your app in such a way that your business logic is separated out from your UI logic, right? So it should be easy to just replace all your UI. 
Should be. Anyway. Should be. <laughs> but uh, but Swift data looks cool. Gotta say. Yeah. 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 No, I, I did play. I played around with it a little bit. Like I'm actually writing another app too that that uh, I had started writing in Swift UI with with core data and CloudKit. But like you know, I hadn't. That's not published yet. So I mean, that's an opportunity to take that one and and start again in in with Swift data and just you know move forward, right? Yeah. Anyway, that's that's what I'm doing with my. That's or, what I'm. Or you can have all your users. Uh, FedEx you their phones yeah. and you'd pull the data and and manually put, yeah. manually move it over to key another it back in, key it yeah. back in. Yeah, exactly yeah yeah sure sure and, and draw facsimiles of their photos that they have stored in there that's yeah. right that's right yep take screenshots I take screenshots and put the screenshots in yeah well you can just print it to a laser you know using a laser printer and then true scan yeah. it and then load it back in yeah that's true that would work mm-hmm you know, you laugh, but you laugh. But but when I started, no, I know that's Mac, the way it used to be. Yeah, <laughs> I I no people used to send me people used to send me camera ready artwork by fax machine, mm. <laughs> right? <laughs> and then I would have to go in and and blow it up and then and then draw it out clean, right? So mm. and then cut it to to make screen prints and stuff like that. But yeah, that was that was how that was how it happened back in the day. Yeah, yeah. When people didn't understand what camera ready meant, right? I just faxed it to you, or they'd send you a matchbook and go here. Put this on a flag. <laughs> what the matchbook? Anyway, so what? What scene? What uh, sessions have you watched, Jaime? I've seen the uh, designing with Swift UI. It's meant for the designer audience. Um, after that, I ended up watching um, today at lunch the verify app dependencies with digital signatures. So I apologize if this is covered um, in some other video. Like I kind of got a hint of where they're going, and I have not seen the follow-up uh, get started with privacy manifests. Um, but the sort of nice thing that this first video, that's like you know 15 minutes long, talks about is you know what happens if there's supply chain attacks on your favorite SDK that you're putting in, or or what if your SDK, if you're an SDK creator of some sort, how do you know that people are using your legitimate version and not one that's been uh, you know subtly changed by nefarious. Like an exode from China, for example? Yes, that, that should be the one that people should remember of, you know, hey, huh. it's too challenging to get Xcode over the, uh, the, the interwebs with the great firewall. So uh, what if we have local copies? And oh, look, they're compromised. In this case, this is trying to help with that. So like you have a, you know, a signed uh, attestation of some sort here that says like, this here with Apple is the one who can verify. Yes, you can have your own self-signed thing, but if you use the sort of sort of nicer, easier path where Apple is managing that through your developer account, etc., you'll know. Hey, I just included you know my SDK here, um, and Xcode can give you a warning, be like, "Yo, this doesn't match. Uh, it's supposed to have this signature. It does not have that signature. You know, something is wrong here." So that's good from a protecting um, your app from nefarious folks, which of course means it protects your users because who knows what that nefarious SDK is is trying to do. I got the impression that this is leaning towards addressing a problem that we've talked about on this show, which is, okay, so I, as the app developer, am not doing anything nefarious with these, um, you know, these app level permissions like location, camera access, microphone, contacts, that sort of thing. But if I, as the app provider, get 
permission from the user for legitimate reasons, then any SDK I've included now becomes a potential security problem because they can go reach in and grab whatever they want uh, because Apple's system doesn't differentiate between this is app code versus this is library SDK code. So uh, and analytics if you're just, might be a problem for that too. If you're just building some SDK from source and bundling it into your app, then even if you you know go through the like the if it's a Mac app, you go through the notarization process, uh, which which Apple offers, you still don't know. Well, you're just notarizing whatever source code that you just downloaded, and if there's something nefarious deep inside that source code, if, unless you've gone through every single line of the source code of this SDK that you downloaded, then yeah, there's a chance something could sneak in. So this this uh, avoids that, which is which is great. Yeah, yeah. So I, at least so far from what I've seen in this session, um, and from what I'm sort of gleaning from the, the little abstract on Get Started with Privacy Manifest, I don't think this is going yet to the point of, you know, separating out, you know, these permissions are being requested by this part of the system. It's really more around um, protecting uh, your app itself by that point. And right. the, the Get Started with Privacy Manifest ones mentions, um, find out how third-party SDK developers can use these manifests to share privacy practices for their framework. So they let you know, hey, by the way, we're using MusicKit. Hey, by the way, we're using Core Location. Um, we'll also share how Xcode can produce a full privacy report to help you more easily represent the privacy practices of all the code in your app. So, oh, I see. Uh, many okay. moons ago, um, I remember uh, being on a mobile team where you know it's an iOS team and Android team. The Android team had their app pulled out of Google Play, and it turns out uh, you know, we were both using this uh, third-party SDK that shouldn't be doing what it was doing. <laughs> Right. And, and Android got hit first, or I guess they were the only ones who were explicitly hit because, um, they had incorporated the latest, uh, point release of that SDK, that third party SDK, um, Google's, you know, scanning system of some sort recognized it. And it was such a strong violation that they pulled our app, the Android app out of the store. Mm -hmm. So the Android team had to like scramble in this fire drill to like produce a new version of their app with the older version of the SDK, you know, immediately being in phone calls with the, uh, the third party SDK provider. Cause it was a, a paid for service. So you can imagine how irate our company was for the iOS team. We also had to do our own little mini fire drill of, okay, we were about to incorporate the latest point release at the SDK. What does that SDK do? So we did some builds. We figured out like, oh yeah, if we submitted this to the store, Apple would probably end up rejecting us, if not pulling us from the store, if we somehow got caught after the fact. So we also had to, you know, back out some changes that were dependent on that new point release at the SDK. And it, it just became a mess. So hopefully this, from what I understand, would avoid it. It would have avoided that mess if this existed back then because we'd have seen hey wait a minute what the heck xcode is telling me that this thing is asking for permissions that we would never use in our app why the heck is this sdk using that right mm. um, so this is protecting you as the developer from a third-party developer who's developing an sdk that you might want to use as opposed to protecting both you and the sdk developer from some malicious person like getting in, in between and 
hacking the SDK and inserting some malicious code and pretending that it's still the valid code and then you using it. Yeah, and Correct. and and I think that's where it currently stops at, at that moment. You know, there's still that level of of trust. Presumably, if Xcode is able to produce this privacy report, then Apple can produce the privacy report when they look at your app during review. And you know, you're supposed to have a proper uh, set of you know, privacy settings for your app. And like, you know, this app uses core location for this reason. That's presented to the user and you can't just hide in uh you know in the the app update something in there i'd like to see as a user though that you know yes i would legitimately like to let this app like for the functionality that it does get access to my location however i would like to not allow the third-party analytics sdk under the covers have access so i wasn't sure if that would uh that would be like the next logical step that they might do, given that they're doing these uh, these app dependencies verified with digital signatures. It seems like it gives you something that could be rendered to the user in the future of like, you know, uh, yes, I allow location for the app itself, but I'm not going to allow it to the SDK that is shown by name here. The other thing that is a possibility is like, even if it doesn't... Um, stop stuff from the get-go this does seem to give apple a remediation uh avenue to say okay so it turns out that there is some rogue sdk out there Uh, we're just going to go nuke that (laughs) that signature from being validated so that all all the ios devices will complain about it and it's really just force the issue kind of similar to how apple has had to yank the um it was really the the it was either the signature or certificate. They, they yanked something um, from some some rogue apps that had made their way into the store. And yes, people who had downloaded them and started using them, they were impacted, but no further people could be because uh, the apps would refuse to download onto either macOS or iOS. I forget what it was. Yeah, they, they invalidated the certificate. That's what they right, did. right. Yeah. Cool. All right, well, so, um, Mark, you were pretty excited about what's new in UI Kit when you first started watching that, or when you yeah. watched it live, I guess, right? Yeah, I've watched a couple of sessions. I haven't watched a whole lot of sessions. I've watched uh, what's new in UI Kit and what's new in Swift. And the UI Kit one's always pretty interesting because I, I, you know, I, don't, I still don't do a lot of Swift UI, unfortunately. I, I'm still doing UI Kit most of the time. But the thing that I found most exciting was previews for UI Kit. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, I used to love interface builder. I, I, I just thought you could develop interfaces so quickly and easily. Uh, and when you're an indie developer, it's kind of the way to go. But, but, um, you know, when you're on a bigger team, it's, there's a, there's an argument against it. Uh, there's, no, we won't, yeah, we won't rehash that. But, but the convenience factor of, of just being able to visually lay out something and see exactly how, how it, uh, how it's going to look when you're as you're building it was was super amazing, and we we kind of lost that a little bit new UI kit for a long time. They brought that back with Swift UI previews because uh, they saw how valuable it was, I, I, I think. And and now it's it's readily available for UI kit as well. Someone was saying that it was already available in a way for UI kit. Yeah, um, I was. Yeah, but but uh, it was hacky. It was hacky. Yeah, now it's a fully supported, fully fledged way. And uh, it seems like it's like it should be pretty awesome. Yeah, and I think I'm it's also using that. the preview macro, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and another thing that was interesting in the what's new in Swift 
uh, obviously there's the big things like macros and stuff like that. But but one thing that I noticed they they sort of sli- slipped in there in the Swift Foundation section was that a lot of of uh, new things. Well, a lot of things, more things, I should say, more things in Swift are now written natively as opposed to being built on top of the Objective-C layer, like they were, like everything was at the beginning, and slowly over time, things have been migrating. Well, the big one, the most important one, was JSON decoder, JSON encoder, is now fully in Swift. And they're, they're saying that it's two to three times faster to encode or decode JSON than it, than it was in previous versions, because they're not going through the Objective-C library anymore. That's a pretty huge thing for almost everyone. You know, who right, doesn't? Yeah, I think who doesn't do JSON these days? I mean, in some form or the other. I don't know. I do XML on all my stuff. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, people P- do, do PLIS. I'm all but, about PLIS, yeah, Mark. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people do protobufs, but but yeah, you know, there's still a ton of ton of people using JSON out there. So this should help just improve the performance of you know 90 percent of the apps out there just right away as soon as they yeah. start adopting this. Yeah, then in the what's new in Xcode 15, obviously the the new thing is one of the things that, that I noticed was the um, uh, Git um, support. It's a bit more like you know your traditional. Like I tend to use when I when I'm committing, I tend to like to commit things in Xcode. But I, if I really want to do stuff, I'll go to the command line or I'll open a source tree or a tower like kind of app to to sort of get you know sort of the more advanced stuff going. But what they've done, it's it's odd because. I used to always go into, uh, like you'd go under the file menu, I think it is, and you'd have your whatever file was in the standard editor, and you would uh, go down and say, you know, you would I would go to commit, and it would show me a sort of side-by-side in terms of I could see what I had changed and decide whether I wanted to keep it or not. Now they've got, like, staging hunks and stuff like that. Um, committing is a little more complicated in Xcode, even though it's supposed to be easier. Uh, the, I, the side-by-side diffing is a bit, um, odd, I guess. I guess you can you can always just go look at the versions um, comparison, right? But um, I, f- I used to find that as kind of handy to, to just sort of go under the file menu, even though it wasn't fully um, like a source tree or something like that, like a GUI, a GUI uh, Git tool, oh, yeah. right? I, I do that all the time. Before I do my commits command line, but very often I look at the commit option in Xcode just to see what Xcode thinks I'm committing. <laughs> well, well, what I'm saying is, like, yeah. you're going to be surprised the first and time you do that. And it's bad now. Oh, that's too Xcode bad. 15 that's too it's, bad. It's now, now it's it's more like a hey, this is what you, this is, these are the commits, you know, and you like like I think what you're saying is the same thing as I want. I want to see what was there before I made the change I made and decide right. whether I want to keep it or not. You know, yeah, you um, can't do that anymore. Oh, that's that's not good. I, not not that I found. I haven't found an easy way to do that. I, like I said, the versions tab is still the, the version where you can go and look at any compared to any other branch. That's still there. Like, you know, the little double arrows that go back and forth icon. That's still there. But yeah, first time I went to do a commit on this Swift Data app I was talking about earlier. Um, I was a little surprised. I'm like, oh, wait, what have I done? You know, because sometimes I'll even go onto the command line and I'll do like a git diff and then load the file and then look, you know, in the, with colors in the terminal to see what's in one, one version, what's in the other one, right? So, you know, but if you spend a bit of time and, you know, like 
my advice to everybody is make small PRs, <laughs> you know, small commits in your small PRs are easier to read and your team's going to want to read them. You know, they're, they're not going to want to read your giant PR, right? Um, that's what I found anyway. So uh, sometimes I'll, you know, I'll be working for a bit and then before I, you know, go to look at it and there's, I've changed quite a few things. I'm like, oh man, and have to go back and whatever. So it's not as easy now to see what you've changed in, in Xcode, at least from mm. what I was able to find. Maybe our friends on the show can ask MTJS, MTJCS a comment um, for next week or next time, and we'll have a fact check on that. I hope there's a way to switch back if they're... <laughs> well, it is beta software technically, right? So you never know. It could go, it could go the way of the air power, you know, knock on wood. Or maybe they'll add a, a, a an improvement when they get some feedback from people, right? So the other the other one that I pointed out to you guys, I don't know if you had a chance to look at it. It's a long one. It's called Expand on Swift Macros. And yeah. this is a bit deeper dive into the whole structure of the way Swift Macros work. And the part I kind of, like, if you weren't going to watch the whole session, what I found illuminating was the sort of way, the structure of how uh, the macros are put together at about the 17-minute mark, um, the speaker dives in a bit deeper uh, to how the this, this stuff is structured. And, and my brain hurt after watching it the first time. I watched it again today, and, and it hurts less. But still, you know, I wouldn't want to do a test on it. Um, but it was really illuminating in terms of how the, you know, because, you know, if, if you watch any of the videos or demonstrations, you have a macro, you can, you can expand the macro and see in Xcode what is going on. Um, and I think it was just, it was it called a Swift uh, lost a track is it Swift library or something like that. There was some she imported three things into the into the project and she talked about them separately. Uh, did you watch this one, Mark? I did. Yeah, I watched it sort of quickly, um, but yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, there was there were a few standard libraries that, that she imported uh, for doing this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I watched. I wasn't as excited about it as as you were. For whatever reason, uh, you know, I thought. Well, the the thing that I I laughed out loud uh, about was at the very beginning when she she started saying that people hear about macros and they're either really excited or they're really like, oh no, miserable. Because I'm clearly in the oh no, miserable uh, camp. Yeah, uh, be for exactly the reason she said because other languages, basically C type languages, macros are you know, really can be abused. Um, and, it, and it can make life, make your life really miserable. Uh, and the same thing is kind of true here, but they've definitely taken some measures to avoid that. So the one thing that, that is, okay. So there's a couple of different kinds of macros, right? But, but, but let's just talk about the, what do they call it? The freestanding ones, which is basically just a code substitution, right? So you have a macro, and and it's just it's basically just replacing the text of the code with different code. Uh, and the thing that actually makes that nice, I think, is that you can you can open it up in in Xcode. You can just expand it in Xcode and actually see the code in place. You can put breakpoints inside the macro, and and so you can troubleshoot and debug things. So this is this is really a nice a nice thing. I think this could be pretty useful. Um, it did make me think. If I can go off on a tangent for a minute, yeah, sure. It, it did make me think that that it, maybe I'm just imagining it, but but it seems like Apple's doing more and more things that you really need Xcode to do. 
for for doing Swift development. Maybe it's maybe it's not, it's always been this way, uh, but but using macros without Xcode, you can do it right. If you want to use your just your own, you know, you want to do your X, your iOS development in VI, you can right and use VI and then run Xcode command line Xcode. Um, yeah, the Xcode Xe build, whatever it is, Xcode yeah, build, yeah, whatever it yeah. is, the, the command yeah. line one, uh, and, and you can do everything command line, but but using macros will you'll lose a lot of the 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 benefit in many ways of using the macros. You'll still get the benefit of it's less code. You can just write a small you know a small amount of code, but you lose all the benefits that I just mentioned of being able to expand it, see what's actually happening, um, probing it, troubleshooting, putting breakpoints, and all that kind of stuff. You lose you lose all of that. Um, maybe I'm still on my tangent here, but I'm going to reel it back in. Maybe it's always been that way. There's always been that kind of thing. I mean, even going back to, you know, previews, like we just talked about and, and interface builder before that, you know, you couldn't do any of that without Xcode. So yeah, I guess it's always kind of been that way. And core data, you used to not be able to do without Xcode either because you needed the model, the XC model file or whatever, the MomD file. Um, so, all right. Maybe it's maybe it's always been that way. Maybe it isn't anything, any kind of yeah. The one thing, one thing that was illuminating for me, speaking just on a, on a sort of side tangent about the mm-hmm. mob mob file, the the scheme editor that mm-hmm. was in, apparently not accessible, so blind users couldn't really edit uh, core data mob mm-hmm. file. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, that, maybe that's another advantage of of this sort of new Swift data approach um, is that they can. It, maybe it's it, they can do it do it now, right? I mean, a lot of like a lot of cases, like if you're moving to MVVM, a lot of people are moving away from. I hear that, like you know, I'm actually interviewing right now, so I'm speaking to a lot of engineers about um, what they do at work, and a lot of programmatic UI out there, right? A lot, a lot of people are, you know, if they're if they're using model view view model, they're they're doing a lot of their they're not using interface builder as much or storyboards or zibs anymore. Oh yeah, I don't know. Ever since yeah. I've been at. Companies, company. corporations yeah. that do this stuff. Yeah. Since I stopped being an indie developer, it's all been programmatic UI for yeah. years, years now. Yeah. No. Yeah. And is that is that you think that's because of the con- merge conflicts and stuff like that we used to get with uh, the UI tool? GUI, GUI that's tools? a big. That's a big part of it. It's a big part of it. It's hard to code review an XML, a giant XML file. Um, yeah. Those are those are a lot of the reasons. Yeah. Yeah. But there, you definitely lose something and not. And not using the visual, uh, the visual editing, and that's why I'm so happy about previews in UI Kit. You definitely lose. I mean, I I could I could in Interface Builder I could just crank out a layout in like minutes, where now it will take you know an hour or two to to get it right because you gotta you gotta write your code, you gotta run it multiple times to just see how it looks, you know. Um, and that's the biggest problem when when your builds take a few minutes. You know, you change. You change a font, you got to wait till it runs to to see what it looks like. Yeah, true. It's a problem. Are you finding your machine is fast enough to, for the previews that you're working with? Oh, I haven't used them yet. They're brand new. Oh, right? oh I I, used you're yet. talking about the new ones. I, well, I mean, just in Swift, Swift UI in general. Like, I sometimes find that um, if I'm making changes, uh, there's a lot of spinning waiting for the preview to, to get mm. regenerated as the compiler reads through the code, yeah. right? No, I, I haven't done enough Swift UI to. To know, oh, to know, I've only done the sample projects. Really, I haven't oh, done it cool. for real. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, speaking of some, like I, I talked about earlier, the Meat Store Kit for SwiftUI is kind of an interesting talk. Um, where they talk, it's almost like a, like to add subscriptions is like a one liner. They've actually got a 
templated or sort of standardized UI, like much like we were talking about with the, with the empty URL, empty um, empty views. Um, you basically don't need to create your. You can you can add your little graphics to the to the interface, but you get like a list of. Uh, it goes to the store. It reads the stuff that you have configured in in um, on. Uh, what do you call it? App Store Connect, um, your subscriptions or your products that you're selling through your in-app purchases, brings them in. Like the UI is kind of already created for you in Swift UI, um, and yeah, it's almost almost like a plug-and-play kind of um, implementation of StoreKit, which is nice. I've I've done StoreKit in a few other apps in the past, and it other than setting up the <laughs> the App Store Connect site, I don't know if they I don't know if they've improved that, but please tell me they have because it's always been a challenge to try and set up in-app purchases or um, subscriptions and get them approved and blah, blah, blah. But uh, yeah, this, this putting it in, putting the UI into, into a Swift UI app is, is much nicer too. Right. Um, the other one I watched a bit was, was bringing the widgets to new places. This is the taking the widgets that used to be on the today screen or today view or the the side view, the control center view, whatever you call that, on the Mac, and now putting them on your desktop, um, letting you have them on the lock screen, having them appear on the watch um, is nice, too. And the fact that you can have a two-way interaction, like you can actually have a widget you can interact with that will go back and speak to your, your app. I think we talked about this last week. It's not really a real-time thing. It's kind of caching the calls until you go back to your app. So... Did, do we have, do you recall having that conversation? I don't no? remember. No. Yeah, no. I was speaking to somebody about it, and and they had they had pointed out that it's not a it's not a real time interaction. It's kind of like it's you're you're sort of caching the the intention, and then when you go to the app, it you know it loads up the the change the user requested from the widget. So, but still, still kind of cool, right? Um, I'm guessing none of you guys looked at. Oh, the what's new what apps clip real quick one. Apps clip app clips was a big thing uh in twenty twenty and when did I work at Apple? Twenty twenty one? Yeah. So um yeah, twenty twenty one. Uh yeah. So in twenty twenty app clips was introduced and uh, it was quite a quite a big push from Apple to sort of get that. And the idea behind that is rather than having people download your app, you know, you can they could download a smaller version of the app. Um you had to fit that into I believe it was a ten megabyte ten megabyte payload, which is a challenge for some people. And um they increased that in, in this time around to fifty uh, megabytes for iOS 17. However, if you want to deal with near field communication stuff like that, and you still need to use the iOS 16 limitation, which I think is 15 megabytes. So it's improved, but not quite there yet. And then I I did dig in a bit to some of the uh, oh there was a couple of like survey ones the 17 big and little things at WWDC 23. If you haven't seen that, that's kind of the kind of the highlight reel of what's uh, what's new. And another one was called What Apple Developers Need to Know About at WWDC 23. That was another one that was um, kind of sort of a survey one. Like last year we had Serenity Caldwell doing those, you know, uh, end-of-day recaps. Uh, we didn't get that this year. These are these are sort of, I guess, a replacement for those. And then um, I did look at a little bit of the, the building spatial experiences for the Vision Pro coming up. Um, real, using Reality Kit and the uh, Reality Composer Pro, which was a beta uh, last couple of years. I, I remember I wrote an article about it um, for Apple back in um, the day. 
Um, and that's when I got used to it. And it's, it's very much like Reality Composer is very similar to any a lot of different um, UI that you've used in, in building 3D apps, if you've ever done any sort of 3D modeling. Uh, and also very similar, remind me a lot like uh, Sprite Kit and Scene Kit in terms of how, um, you know, you have an object in, in like, especially the uh, Scene Kit where it's like a 3D world. Um, and then you have different pr- uh, parameters. You can attach audio to it. You can uh, have particle emitters. Like uh, in the example, they talk about building clouds. Like they've got like a landscape and they build clouds um, using, um, they take a, a particle um, emitter and they make it, and they, they pile them together to make what looks like a cloud of white smoke or white you know, moisture, I guess. Um, so that's kind of a cool thing and a cool little talk on how you use your reality Compo- uh, Reality Composer Pro. You can use it directly, or you can use it as part of an Xcode project. But it opens up the Reality Composer uh, right inside, like a separate window kind of thing. So those are kind of interesting. And they've some of the paradigms that they're talking about with the new Vision OS. It's funny that in the videos they state, was it XROS is what we were thinking the name was going to be. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just, funny. it shows up in some spots. Yeah. Yeah, because yep. the you know, developer hasn't got the marketing name yet, which is Vision OS, right? Right. Um, right. But yeah, talking about so talking about that, um and sort of the the new sort of uh I, I don't know if the Higgs out yet for Vision OS. I don't know if everybody's noticed it yet, but like things like, you know, how the back button is kind of like a circle now instead of uh just a chevron, that kind of stuff and, and how to put um how to design your UI or modify the UI on your current app if you're going to put it on Vision Pro to, you know, sort of take care or be more uh, spatial. I didn't realize I'm, I'm looking at my uh, my spell check is 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 um, barking at me about the, the word spatial. I didn't realize that spatial is a new word, right? Um, building spatial experience with reality kits, one of the sessions I watched, for example. And designed for spatial input. That's the one where you talk about the different paradigms for round buttons and round interfaces and things floating in space. So, so did they get rid of the source control menu in Xcode? Source control in Xcode. 15? No, no, it's still there. It's just, it's a little different. Um, let me just open a project real quick. I just Hopefully opened a project, was... and I don't have a source control menu. There's somewhere integrate. I think no. No, I mean at the top menu bar. Yeah, I know. As I'm looking, I'm looking up there. It's it's one. It's I think it's kind of where the source control. Yeah, it's where the the one that says integrate. Right below that, it says source control. Then it's got commit, push, pull. Oh, there, there it is. Yeah, there it is. And then you got the staging stuff that I was talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's kind so of. So what happens? Kind of goofy. Well, here I've got one. I've got some commits I haven't done yet. Let's see if I go to. Oh, I hit commit. Did it actually commit? Wait a minute. No, it should it should give you a it should give you like a what's changed kind of view, right? Like it looks yeah. like a lot. It reminds me of what GitHub looks like. So I've got all changes. I've got unstaged. I've got staged. Yeah, this is a little. It weird. Shows me the last commit number I've got, which is uh, I can amend it now. Um, yeah, see, what's what I'm saying? There's no sort of like I used to like the fact that I could right click and say I can discard the changes, but I can't really sort of preview them right like we used to be able to do. Well, it's giving me a, instead of a side-by-side view, it's giving me a inline view, and I don't see a way to change it to the side-by-side view. There's got to be a way to change it to the side-by-side view. There has to be. <laughs> yeah. has to be. That's what I mean. Like, I, what I was doing before was, go, before going into this view, right, if you go from the Project Navigator, you can click on the little, uh, two little arrows to see the side-by-side between what your old branch was, or your old commit was, and the new one. 
That's the only side-by-side one I could figure out. Annoying, eh? Yeah. Well, <laughs> especially in... Because if you go into settings under source control, it still has the comparison view, local revision on the left side or right side choice, but it's not showing me that in the commit view. Hmm. You're talking about settings under under preferences? Xcode settings. Okay. Yeah, there's no preferences anymore. Okay. Right? If you go into uh, settings, then there's a source control tab, and then there's a comparison view. So you can still change it to left side versus right side. But it doesn't use that anywhere, at least on the screen. Huh. Oh, look, you can do your Git ignore right inside of Xcode now. That's nice. And if you look on that same tab you were just on, the Git one, you can edit your uh, ignored files. That's new. I just go to source, source uh, what is it, um, Stack Overflow and grab uh, <laughs> somebody else's Xcode uh, Git ignore and use that. Mm. That is kind of nice, actually. You can just edit it right there. Yeah. Well, you can also go to the command line and edit it too, right? Using VI, like mm-hmm. you said earlier, or, mm-hmm. or I use sometimes I use um, uh, what's that? Visual Visual Code Studio, Video Visual Studio, Visual Studio Code. Code. Yeah, because you can you can load Swift libraries in there too. I do all that website stuff I was talking about earlier with Visual Studio Code. Cool. Anything else we want to say about WWDC sessions? You've talked a lot about the ones you've seen. Are there any that you are? Looking forward to taking a look at that you haven't yeah, gotten around to. Yeah, I've got a ton of bookmarks on my developer app. Let's have a look at that. Like the privacy stuff, like you mentioned earlier, I haven't looked at that. I need to look at, oh, I did watch that one, Observer, Observation. I want to look at the grammatical agreement one. That looks interesting. The What's the new Envision kit? That's, that's obviously, I haven't looked at that one yet. I did look at the Meet and Map Kit in SwiftUX. I just did a POC uh, for Map Kit with Swift. And uh, now you can do look arounds and things like that in in SwiftUI, and it seems to be a little easier. Or UI kit for spatial computing. Um, this is really annoying me that I can't change this from <laughs> an inline view to a I side by side view. I did warn you, view. Mark. I did. That was yeah. me warning you. Which means I can't move to Xcode 15 anytime soon because of this one problem. <laughs> uh, dive into App Intense is what I want to look at. Hi, May. Um, What's new in Swift SF Symbols 4? I haven't looked at that one yet. Focus filters is something I'm interested in. There's, there is a meat pet. Oh, I watched meat pet skis already. Um, oh, now I'm into 2022. So that's a problem. I didn't clear my, like, I didn't listen to Leo and clear all my um, my bookmarks. There's another Demystify Swift UI performance one I haven't watched yet. That was a good session last last year. Swift UI animation. I've I've seen some of the stuff that Paul Hudson's done and a few people online, but I haven't really dug into that session yet. I did watch Model Your Schema with Swift, Swift Data. Oh, the DocC stuff. Have you guys played with DocC at all? Swift DocC. Friends of the show, Marin Tordorov worked on that. Mm. So what? So I was remember this app I was telling you about that I was building, right? Um, I don't know what I was doing. I was right clicking on something and it said, "Hey, do you want to build the documentation?" I went, "Sure." And it actually the class the model classes I had written for this this app, it created the documentation for it, and it looks just like Apple's you know the, you know the yeah. Apple uh, documentation that, that doesn't tell you much. Mm-hmm. It looked exactly like that, like it just stubbed it out for me, um, and it looks just like a like a typical documentation from Apple. And you know, like theoretically, I guess I could go in and edit that file and add more to it, right? Mm-hmm. But it was like a, yeah, it's been it around for like, a couple of years now. Yeah, yeah but I, I thought I, I I don't know why, but I thought that was for Swift Package Manager. I didn't realize it was for for just anything. How about you, uh, I mean, some that uh, I've got 
bookmarked to take a look at our um, Meet Swift Open API generator. So using Open API Swagger spec files to generate. Oh, nice. Your, yeah, that your, sounds good. You know, your, your stuff that's going to use somebody else's API. That seems interesting. Um, meet Core Location Monitor. It sounds like they're making that a little bit easier to deal with all of the various different ways and states that you can deal with core location or uh, stuff that probably goes more towards the, uh, the jobby job. Uh, what's new in wallet and Apple pay is uh, sitting there in my queue. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I should look at that one too. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of jobby job related is uh, two web development related ones. Rediscover Safari developer features. Yeah. You know, especially if you're going to like look at stuff in the simulator and, mm-hmm. and inspect that like as if you were using it um you know in desktop safari it's kind of nice to, to see how to do that and what's new uh speaking of that what's new in web inspector is also new in there too uh so i'm not always stuck using chrome sometimes it's nice to use some other tools that might offer something different yeah i tend to use safari too um and the one that is in a weird spot because it's it's partially um partially like oh this is an interesting a new framework for um, integrating with uh, devices, and partially because Jaime is petty. <laughs> I'll get to that in a bit. Uh, integrate with motorized iPhone stands using DockKit. <laughs> so, I mean, the uh, the ability to to integrate with stands that are presumably um, powered by uh, MagSafe. So you put your you can put a device in there, and you, you can remotely move um, a little you know gimbal of some sort right so you can imagine um babysitting duties you can imagine pet sitting duties it's like i would like to see what's going on in this location i'm not physically in and sure you can buy some dedicated devices but it might be kind of fun to have uh stuff related to you know a little moving gimbal that you can interact with over i don't know i haven't watched the session i'm gonna assume it's you know over some little local network or Bluetooth or something. The petty part comes from the, oh, I bet you this SDK will be a wonder to deal with and not like the uh, the nightmare SDK I dealt with in a uh, job interview session uh, many years ago. It kind of stuck out in my mind that this, uh, this one company who will not be named that I was interviewing with at the time, they had a, or still have, I, don't, I haven't checked to see if they're still around. They had a, um, a gimbal system for... Uh, shooting video so you know like the made on iphone kind of really cool videos the cameras are so good what if you had a physical you know optical stabilizer so you know it stays gyroscopically still even as you're you know running down the street and uh, your your body's jostling around but it's holding still Um, that that'd be you know that was something that was pretty cool as a concept but man their sdk was just like bananas to deal with it was so difficult. And the, the petty part of me was like, man, I really hope to, to take a look at this and see how much better this SDK or this <laughs> framework is almost certainly going to be. Yeah. So some of the bookmark ones I had are embed photo picker in your app. This is using a new Swift UI implementation of that. Um, explore enhancements in app intents. And I just looked at a second ago. Ooh, fix failures faster with Xcode test reports. Oh, pie charts. Yes, we have to get into the new Swift UI pie charts. Very important. Well, that is a good thing, actually. I mean, <laughs> it was they were conspicuously absent from Swift charts last year. They didn't support pie charts. How's that possible? Probably it was they 
they weren't up to par so they cut those out for the they didn't make the cut for the release and then it you know they have the one year release cycle which is still a little bit nutty so i just found something cool in xcode they now have under the product menu show build folder in finder oh nice yeah yeah, so it just takes you directly to the build folder and the derived data folder instead of having to go through and search for it like an animal yeah yep Sherlocking another third-party app developer. I know somewhere in our picks way back when we had one of those apps that would, that would do that for you. Mm. It, it would, you could uh, get like a shortcut to go there. Oh, I'm going to have to look at this one. Prototype with Xcode Playgrounds. I, I missed. I didn't realize there was any... I thought there were no Playground talks here. But Yeah, you know, they didn't say much about Playgrounds, did they? Well, this isn't Swift Playgrounds. It's Xcode Playgrounds. Mm. I just realized as I said that. Mm-hmm. But having said that, they didn't talk much about Swift Playgrounds. No, I guess they're kind of done, right? I mean, Mm, how much more? How much more can you do with playgrounds? I mean, I suppose you could just keep adding more functionality until a playground basically becomes full, full blown Xcode. But I don't know. So, Jaime, the day I met you, what was the name of that? Jonathan was the other. Remember him? I don't know. uh, What's the context? Yeah, when you and I met at 360 iDev, right? we met Jonathan from, he was from Cincinnati. Anyway, he now works on Swift Playgrounds at Apple. Probably Jonathan Penn? Jonathan Penn, Jonathan yeah. Penn. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll have to figure out what's going on with Jonathan Penn. Because that's, that's what's happening with Swift uh, Playgrounds, Mark. So mm. you, almo- you almost were co-hosted with Jonathan Penn instead of Jaime. Mm. <laughs> but Apple snapped him up. So this is kind of interesting. Xcode editor now has a Vim mode. What? Where you can use VI commands. Oh no! So built-in window, no, no yeah. third-party, yeah, plug-in stuff. Just, just built right in. Just, just yeah. So how did you find that? It's under the editor menu. Just open the editor menu, and it's right down there. Does it have support for Ed as well? No, just Vim. Ed and Awk. No Emacs either. Just Vim. Oh, I like Ed and Sock. So where is it again? Under the editor menu? Editor menu. Oh, wait, I saw my side-by-side view turned on. Editor menu. What am I? Oh, Vim mode. Ooh. Yeah, Vim mode. Why would I want that? What does it do? I Do I have to have something? So, oh, it's down at the bottom. Well, no, you got to know all the Vim, the VI commands, right? <laughs> you navigate around. You use, like, colon, down, X, arrows, X to delete shift things, Q, DD to delete w, line. Yeah, that kind escape, of stuff. All that stuff? Yeah, all that kind of stuff. You mean we'll have to have an escape key on our Mac? You'd probably need an escape key, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to turn off Vim mode before it drives me crazy. Yeah, why? It's like like saying we're going to edit in Markdown from now on, right? Yeah. All righty, let's move on to our picks. We only have one pick today, right? Um, this is a... Uh, we talked about this uh, um, gentleman before, Marco Eidinger. Uh, this is all new frameworks presented at WWDC 23. It's got a big long list of all the new frameworks that came out. Cinematic, DocKit, Media Extension, Observation, Swift Data, Symbols, Workout Kit. Oh, it's not that many. thought it would be a lot longer, but oh well. But these are all the new frameworks that came out this time around. Correct. Not updated because it's a bazillion ones that were updated. I, I would hazard a guess that they were all updated in some way shape or form, uh, especially with like macros and etc. But uh, cinematic, doc kit, media extension, observation, sensitive content analysis, swift data, symbols, and workout kit. 
or the uh, the new frameworks according to uh, this gentleman nice well it's it's a um github project Jaime, so i'm sure you could uh contribute to it yeah if you watch sessions and you realize that they missed some you, you know, pull requests hopefully accepted well he on his on this github link that he's got here that all the public apple frameworks he's compiled all of the frameworks including what uh ios they cover what mac os watch os so all the all the um and he's marked the ones that are new ones with beta tag on them but uh all the frameworks you ever wanted to know about are listed here mail kit do you know there's a mail kit that's for mac yeah i guess so interesting you find it ex- a really strange music kit mark yeah what's in that i don't know just click on it and find out integrate your app with Apple Music. Oh, should've but that's known. not new, right? Should have known. No, no, it's, these are not new. No, just the ones that Jaime listed off there, the, the six or so that he listed there are the new ones. Pencil Kit, we've seen that one before. Quartz. Security Foundation, Security Interface, Security in General. Shazam Kit. Yeah, this, uh, this GitHub page, this github.io uh, GitHub pages list starts with Accelerate and ends with XBC. Just to give you an idea there. The one thing I that, that didn't talk about too was um I'm not sure if this is new or um but I wasn't aware of it, but apparently Xcode is much better at, at um simulating the app store. Uh in terms of like uh subscriptions and things like that if you're working on those. That's a good one because that stuff is really challenging and that's where stuff like uh, what Revenue Cat and others sort of filled in the gap of Let's help you do some of this stuff because the platform doesn't do it for you. And now the platform does at least some of it, I would guess. Yeah. Well, definitely room for improvement. Any picks? I mean, that was my pick. Oh, this is your pick. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you just sorry. Stole, that's you just Sherlock Timey. You, you, <laughs> uh, you know, in a, in a, in a socialized <laughs> picks sort of way. Real time Sherlocking. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Morgan's Code, my friend. Yeah, Tim, you went right in there with so much enthusiasm that I felt kind of bad calling you out on that. I was like, oh, oh really? just let them, let them have this one. <laughs> All right. No, I spend so much time posting things in here, and you, and you guys are just, you know, not so much. All right. I put my name on this one, <laughs> just for clarity. Yeah, I can't read. I, you should know by now I can't read. <laughs> um, What's in Workout Kit? Do, do you guys know? Uh, that's a new one, right? That's I think yeah. it has to do with... Um, FTP, right? File transfer protocol. Huh? Workout? No, no. Workout. Um, I, I assumed that was I mean, fitness-related, right? Yeah, um, of course, yeah. But it's different than health kit. So th- that, actually, this is kind of interesting. Uh, I wonder if if it's um, to help developers, because health kit, interestingly enough, has a lot of restrictions because of the privacy issues. So health kit is not as useful to developers as it could be because you can't do a lot of stuff you know apple won't let you do a lot of stuff there's it's it's available in healthcare but you won't get your app approved if you do it in 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 for certain things and i wonder if workout kit is a way to kind of make take the stuff that you you shouldn't need all of the permissions Mm -hmm. uh, issues you know you could you can carve some of that out maybe that's what workout kit is maybe i'm totally guessing if I'm reading this correctly, I think it, it means you can add snow shoveling to a workout on your yeah. watch. <laughs> Tim's not that far off because it, you know, the overview says that it, you know utilities and models for creating and previewing workout compositions in apps yeah. for uh, syncing these to the workout app. So uh, there's yeah. goal workouts, there's custom workouts, 
swim, bike, mm-hmm. run, workout composition, which is... Yeah, it says allows triathletes. You might as well just call it triathlete. <laughs> In that case, I think like that would have been a little easier. But to your point, Mark, I think this is like you feed it something that's uh, maybe kind of like an intent type system of like, well, if somebody mm-hmm. wanted to start a workout and, you know, Tim's got this particular snow shoveling workout that like you used to get in summer shape while in the winter. Um, maybe that's what you could do there. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, I guess that's it for another week. So until next time, Jaime, how, how do people get in touch with you? I'm on Twitter as at Deva the hair. All right. And Mark, if people will get in touch with you, Mark R at smapsoft.com. All right. As usual, my name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine and the Mastodon machine. and still waiting for that blue sky invite. But uh, until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. Bye. This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends. Please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you, so use the hashtag AskMTJC. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. So this just in, you can download the SDK for Vision OS. Oh, yeah. That came out today. Yeah. Yeah. Just noticed it. Went through my email. I wonder how big it is. Is it 20 gigabytes? <laughs> <laughs> no idea. Well, I mean, it's all these frameworks, right, too. So Yeah. Yeah. Xcode, Reality Composer Pro, Unity. I don't know, like... That's the other that's the other thing, like like the Unity Unity integration. I've never really played with Unity. Played with you know, it's a whole different world. It's yeah. you know, people do they develop full apps for the iPhone in Unity. They never touch yeah. Xcode. Right. Yeah, yeah. But it's a whole different world. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to download it and see what, what's what. We'll we'll need the Vision Pro to, you know, simulate our stuff, right? So well, there's uh, gonna be a simulator. A yeah, the simulator is supposed to be really good for yeah. this. Um, really? So yep. it's not going to be as good as being one of the, the select few who gets to go to, what, what did we say, five or six special locations where you oh, yes, can, right. can see how your app works. And, and Apple probably is going to choose people that are, you know, making some stuff that's going to put some Well, if you make something state. good and you show it to them, I bet you they'd invite you over. If you make something good in the simulator. You need a way to let them know about yeah. it, I suppose. If you don't have a contact over there, it'd be tough. Looks like it's Xcode um, 15 beta 2. Oh. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, six, 6.85 gigabytes. For the whole thing or just the... Just just the Vision, uh, Vision OS the Vision 1 part. beta. Yeah, yeah. Because you still need 7 gigabytes for iOS 17 beta 2. I like the way they've done the, the download now where you can just choose what you want, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, total here is 16.95 gigabytes of extra 
for the oh for the beta and the selected program um selected platforms yeah i'm going in yeah as long as you're in a downloading mood make sure to update your devices there are some critical exploits that apple has patched and released for at least mac os uh were critical ones i I know they released iPhone OS, uh, sorry, iPhone and sorry, a couple of weeks iOS ago, and week, iPad though, right? OS. What was that? Last week or so? It was like... No, like today. Oh, um, really? Oh, okay. Yeah, the, the, the jobby job is saying, like, <laughs> you have until Monday. Everybody has until Monday to get up to date. Like, oh, you're right. Really I really do that. Yeah. It's like, it must be serious, legit stuff. Yeah, you're right. I'm going to download important. the new Xcode just so I can see if they've added the side-by-side view back to the source control <laughs> when you were <laughs> saying that i was kind of wondering like is that a feature or a bug and will the mtjc bump help here we saw mm. apple engineers like oh <laughs> wait oh, crap <laughs> we turned <laughs> off that feature flag <laughs> whoops accidentally broke that with my last pull request sorry guys yeah, <laughs> yeah. all right well i'm gonna stop recording again saw yeah. ringo last weekend it was great yeah how was that it was awesome you know i before going in i was I was thinking, you know, it'll be good to see Ringo. It's awesome. You know, I've always been a Beatles fan, never seen a Beatle live, you know. But when I was actually in there in the same room with him, it was a big deal. You know, it was it was a thing. Yeah, it was very cool. Like a Steve so, Jobs moment kind of thing or a Steve Jobs moment? What do you mean? <laughs> I'm trying to, you know, make it relative re- relevant to our fans. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Uh, it was pretty cool. Anyway, he played, you know, about half the show is his stuff. And half the show was songs from all the people in his all-star band, uh, which, you know, it was one of those concerts where, you know, every single song. Yeah. He oh, had yeah. he had the Steve Lukather, the guitarist from Toto. Mm-hmm. So they played Rosanna and Africa and Toe mm-hmm. the Line. No, they didn't play Rosanna. They played Africa and Toe the Line. Maybe they played mm-hmm. Rosanna. I forget. I, I forget already. And they had um, the guy from Men at Work, Colin Hay. So they played down under which i, I never oh, thought yeah. i'd see that song live but uh wow. but yeah, yeah i did yep and who who can it be now and overkill and i had hmm. they had a guy from uh average white band so they played pick up the pieces and edgar hmm. winter was there yeah so free ride it was great it's just a great show when frankenstein do frankenstein did, he didn't do frankenstein he did he did free ride hmm. i don't think he did okay. frankenstein i forget my memory's not good well, you'd know it would be a big uh, yeah. keyboard solo in the middle, yeah. Tim yeah. solo, and yeah, yeah. I saw him. I saw Alice Cooper, Deep Purple, and Edgar Winter. So mm. Edgar Winter opened. I think Deep Purple was second, and then Alice Cooper was the closer. Mm-hmm. So I mean, like, I my first album I ever bought was Alice Cooper. Oh, and um, and I think one of the first singles I ever bought was was Frankenstein. And then I found out that the album version of the Frankenstein song was longer because you remember the forty fives didn't have that much time on them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, oh, they did play Frankenstein. I just looked up the set list, and they did play Rosanna. Yeah, my brain is wow, you're getting old, man. Yeah, I am. Yeah, yep. That's cool. Yeah, oh. I, I I know I've seen the, I've seen them, but. I mean, sometimes the tickets are a little outrageous, right? So. Oh, the, they were crazy expensive. Yeah, crazy expensive. I, I won't say how much they cost for, but you know, imagine California inflated prices, um, and apply it to seeing a Beatle live. Yeah. Well, we went and saw the Cure. I think I mentioned that um, they had, like, Robert Smith had forced um, Ticketmaster to mm-hmm. not allow third-party sellers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we had we had grass seats, sort of like right at the very back, and it, and 
Uh, I mean, the concert was packed. It was like completely sold out and nobody, like, except for me, nobody sat down during the whole show, right? Mm, mm. Um, but it was like wall-to-wall people, right? And, and um, but Jonathan and I started, you know, a couple of days beforehand. Uh, like, the way it worked was if you couldn't go to the show, you couldn't resell your ticket, like, traditionally, like you would, like, you know, for extra money or whatever. You could only turn it back in to put it for sale at face value on Ticketmaster. So tickets would appear for like a minute and then they would disappear. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you'd like, because other people were doing the same thing as us. So Jonathan updated our seats twice mm-hmm. and we ended up with some fairly decent seats with a good view. Mm-hmm. We were still, you know, halfway down the, the amphitheater from them. And it was a super small venue for considering they could have sold out hockey arenas. In fact, they did. They played hockey arenas everywhere else except Toronto, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. Although it's a great venue for watching concerts, though, I got to say, Budweiser stage, right? Yeah, and it was super, super entertaining. And the funny thing is, like, you know, as a Cure fan, I mean, I know the sort of the stuff that was on the radio, and I've watched, you know, things on YouTube over the years. And Jonathan was a huge fan when he was a teenager, right? So I, you know, was mm-hmm. in the house all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh,. You know, so I did. A, I did a bit of studying. Like I kind of listened to a couple of live, you know, compilations over the last, you know, three four weeks or whatever. But you know, I I, I still don't know hundred percent what all the songs they played. I mean, there's a handful I know. I know, but I know the name of them or I know the tune. Let's put it that way. But there wasn't a single song that sucked. Like they were just every song was like just wow, amazing. But the funny thing about the Cure uh, is that. You know how Pink Floyd like like things like songs like uh, "Comfortably Numb" they have a they have a hard time ending that song. You mm-hmm. know, it just goes on and on. Well, The Cure is the opposite. They have a hard time starting songs. Every hmm. single song is a good you know minute and a half two of them just jamming before they start singing. Yeah, right? that was like The Grateful Dead. Yeah, they yeah. Just except for a while The Grateful Dead the goes on for days, in. though, right? right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's what's good about it. Yeah. Yeah, every 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 uh, like they kind of build it up. It's the same. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's formulaic or formulaic or whatever, but you know, and over the years they would have had a different production values, and you know, there's some of some of the early tunes that they did were a little more poppy, but like when you get the same band with the same sound and the same setup playing, it kind of homogenizes it a bit, and it gets really it gets really good because these guys are consummate musicians, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. So I'm pretty excited now. Uh, just out of nowhere last week, Neil Young announced a show, a few shows in uh, uh, in California a-, a month from now. So July 15th, he's playing at uh, the Greek Theater up in Berkeley. So I was lucky enough to get tickets. I'm, re- I'm pretty excited about that. Just kind of out of, out of nowhere, this tour showed up. Yeah. He, he, I mean, that's a, that's not a guy with a huge catalog, right? So Yeah. And this... This tour is advertised as being uh, all about deep cuts. He's a cuts. Canadian Beatle, by the way. It's all about deep cuts, so he's not playing like all the hits. He's playing stuff that's off his albums that he hasn't played in a long time. Mm, right, yeah. Did Except you say he's a Canadian know. Beatle? No, it's not, not yeah. quite. Not quite. <laughs> uh, well, from our perspective, he is. I mean, he's, he's yeah, like okay. one of the first Canadian music. Him and Joni Mitchell are sort of the first Canadian musicians to kind of, you know, go down to California and kind of right. strike it rich, right? right? As, yeah, yeah. As, you know, so, the songbook, you know, like there's the, there, there is a Neil Young songbook, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's got tons and tons of songs that you'd know. So as a Canadian, he's like a Beatle to us. Okay. Okay. <laughs> the Canadian equivalent. Don't take that away from us, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's I a lot. Know, there's honey. a lot of good Canadian musicians out there. Yeah, 
I know, but he, but he's, he's one of the ones that started. And Gordon Lightfoot just passed away a few months yeah. ago. I don't know if you know, yeah. but yeah, he was another great one. And we had, you know, Leonard Cohen passed Leonard away. Leonard Cohen, yeah, yeah. Jordy Mitchell, I mentioned Randy Bachman mm-hmm. from yeah. Bachman Turner Overdrive and the Guess Who. And the Guess Who, yeah. Um, so when like they're from both from Winnipeg, um, Neil Young and uh, and and Randy Bachman. It's funny because Randy Bachman tells a story about how Neil Young kind of, you know, you know, was the big band and in, in uh, or the big guy to see in Winnipeg, and he mm. left to go get famous, and he went to Thunder Bay, which, if you know anything about Canada, is just like just down the road from Winnipeg, right? Mm. Um, but yeah, from the from the perspective of the Winnipeg people, but this is all before internet and cell phones and stuff. Like to they had, like he'd gone to make it, you know, strike it rich, right? Strike it they big in Thunder Bay, yeah. There. Ended up down in the Bay Area, but you know, and the whole Crosby, Stills, Nash stuff, right? So, well, Buffalo Springfield, way before that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah. No, like I said, he was—he's one of those one of those guys who just to be in the room with him, right? Mm-hmm. I've seen Neil Young live several times, so it's Have not you? as oh, exciting. I've never seen him live. Oh, never really. I nope. saw I saw him from the second row once at, at a uh, a solo acoustic show. It was pretty wow. pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. I think I a hundred percent. I know this for a fact. The first song I learned to play on guitar was was a New Young song, mm. and that's, I think I have I have, I have one song by him. Oh, two songs by him. Which one? Heart of Gold or Old Man? Or? No, it was uh, Hurricane, like a hurricane. Oh, Hurricane. Okay, yeah, okay. But yeah. Uh, the the this whenever I pick up an acoustic guitar in the store and I just want to, I start noodling around with it. I mm-hmm. immediately go to Needle and Damage Done. Just mm. you know, that's how I get mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm the full body of the song right yeah so the one yep. one song i play by rote mm-hmm. yeah so yeah we played a few songs i've jammed a few of his songs in the past but that those are the ones that kind of go to i haven't played hurricane in years so in fact i forget how <laughs> yeah yeah but it's an easy you know it's an easy strumming song to yeah learn, right yeah it's cowboy chords yep yep definitely definitely i'm here you asleep Nope, I'm uh, I'm here. Oh. I'm doing all right. He's <laughs> learning about old people music. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Frankenstein one was coming to mind. I kind of had that in my head. You know that song? Yeah, it's one of the first songs I learned to play on piano, too. Yeah. Sensitive like content analysis. That's like hot dog, not hot dog, right? <laughs> is it? Yeah, yeah, I think it is, actually. <laughs> yeah, so they they did talk about that. Oh, did they talk about this feature or did this come out somewhere else? It, it's all kind of a blur, but you know how they had the uh, the CSAM stuff, the the child sexual assault, mm. basically, you know, bad stuff that has hurt people with a, a sexual bent to it quite often, you know, it, it was with children involved. Like the not safe for work content analysis is sort of what it's looking for there. Um it seemed like there was some tunable aspects so you could decide like, Hey, you know what? The system has decided that this might fall afoul of your policy here. Maybe you might want to put a blurred preview or a content warning to the user of like, Hey, before you tap on this photo and see the details, just be forewarned. This kind of content is what it appears to be. Yeah. Yeah. We we didn't have these back in the, in the heyday of the late nineties and, and Goatsy was, on the interwebs. If you don't know, don't Google it. <laughs> Ask your elders. They'll they'll describe it to you and you'll you'll avoid the uh, the horrors. Yeah, it's interesting. I just don't I don't know, like like what are you what are you guys thinking about this year's crop of stuff? I mean obviously Vision Pro has got the attention of everybody. Are we offline? Uh we can be. You have a sec. One sec. So everybody say goodbye.
Bye. Bye. <laughs> All right. All right. I always stop the uh, oh. Zoom recording first and then give me a sec to stop the local recording. Yeah.